Would you remain standing and pray with me, please? Father, we, we come, Lord, and just as we just sang, Lord, may that be our prayer. That, God, that your ancient words would come. That, God, that you would use your word to change us. That, God, you would change us indeed from the inside out. Lord, I ask as the preacher of your word this morning that, God, you would empower me, a mere man, um, God, to speak, Lord, to speak on your behalf. And, Lord, we ask that may the words of all of our hearts, or may the words of my mouth, Lord, and in the, in the meditation of all of our hearts, God, be pleasing in your sight. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to encourage you to take your Bibles out and open them to Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, 1 to 16, the verses that Marcy read. And uh, just wanted to give you a bit of a caveat, this is actually a passage that got me kicked out of pastoral ministry <laughs> while I was in seminary in the Baptist, in the Baptist world. Um, there's a long story to that, and I'll save you that, but uh, this passage uh, got me almost kicked out of pastoral ministry, and it also is one of the, uh, the passage of the uh, behind, the, one of the first sermons, actually the first sermon I ever preached in a church. So uh, this passage is actually pretty special to me. Uh, I realized that after that first sermon and restudying this text, I didn't know what I was talking about then. <laughs> Hopefully I do today. So... If you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to open them because you're going to need that to follow along. And, um, you know, as we, as we come to Ephesians chapter 4, we're, we're really moving away, or, or we have been, or we're moving from an exploration of who God is and the way he works over in chapters 1 to 3, or one to three over to a more detailed exposition of who we are and the way we as Christians are to be, the ways we Christians are to work, and the way us Christians are to exist in this world. That's what we find in chapters 4 to 6. And so today in chapter 4, 1 to 16, Paul urges the Ephesian church toward unity. And St. Paul basically does this in two ways. He urges them to, toward unity by doing this. He insists first that they walk worthily of their calling and thus become unified. And two, he encourages them that they become equipped by the word of God and thus become unified. So number one, Paul urges the Ephesians church, or the Ephesian church to walk worthily of their calling and become unified. Look with me, if you will, in verse 1, Ephesians 4, 1. He, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. Well, now, friends, if you see that word calling there in verse 1, look at that, circle it, it's important. It's very important because essentially that word calling really summarizes everything Paul has been talking about in chapters 1 through 3, the things that I've been preaching about over and over and over and over the past few weeks. Because, see, it's chapters 1 through 3 that really are a call on our lives. It's a call on our lives because God's word is alive. And whenever we read his word, or we hear the word read, or we hear his word preached, his word is inherently a call to us. It's an invitation. It's a welcome from God to us to come join into his presence, to join him in his action in the world. And we saw a lot of that from chapters 1 through 3, you may recall. And friends, when we respond to that call, 
we respond to that call of chapters 1 to 3. We're much like the disciples that Jesus came and summoned when he said, come and follow me. When we do that, when we hear the call and we respond to it, that's much, we are following the disciples' examples, okay? And friends, I, I just wanted to ask several of you, I mean, have you heard over the last few weeks from chapters 1 through 3, that call of God, these things that are true about you, those things that are true about God? I know some of you have because you've told me about what God has revealed to you about your life. You've talked to me about what God has been saying to you through those chapters. And, 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 and some of you really gained an identity of who you are as a Christian from Ephesians chapter 1 through 3. But now in chapter, excuse me, in chapter 4 verse 1, Paul comes up and he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Okay. What's this mean? Well, that word worthy has the idea of two things behind it. Or actually, excuse me, that word worthy has the idea of two things being compared or scaled or weighed out. You say, what do you mean? Well, when Paul says, listen, walk in a manner worthy of the calling, what he's saying is, yeah, all that stuff from chapters 1 through 3 that we've been talking about, that's God's high call on your life. It's God's call in your life and denoting or calling you, or calling you blessed, redeemed, chosen, etc. Okay, that's on one side. Put those in one scale, of the, or one, uh, scale, uh, one of the pans on a scale, if you will. Okay, but now on the other side, in chapter 4, verse 1, he's saying, yeah, all that stuff over there, 1 through 3, I want you to live out that calling in such a manner that your way of walking in this world, when you put it over in the pan on the other side, the scales begin to balance out. In other words, what is true about us and God in chapters 1 through 3 becomes true in the way we walk in this world. It balances itself out. That's what it means to be worthy when something's weighed out. So my question is this morning for us this morning, are we ready to live out that calling that God has placed on our lives from Ephesians chapters 1 through 3. Are we ready to put those truths into practice? You know, I said a lot of times the first three chapters are going to be a lot of information impartation. The second part of this series is going to pretty much be right up in our mess. Okay? But listen, friends, be careful how you answer that. If you say, yeah, I want to do that, because listen, the next three chapters of Ephesians... Paul is fixing to call or put that call into action comprehensively in our lives. In other words, there's no more compartmentalization of Jesus to just Sundays. There's no more of just being a Christian in front of our church friends. Paul is going to invade the entirety of our being. He's going to inv invade your life at home through your marriage. He's going to invade your work. He's going to invade your church life. He's going to invade your words. He's going to get right into, the mar into your marriage, into your business, and every relationship that we have. And the first place that Paul starts is with our walk and life and behavior and the relationships that we have inside the church. Look with me at verses 2 to 3. He, says, he begins, he says, how do we walk? With this, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Well, there are several words or phrases in verses 2 to 3 that really kind of build upon each other in succession that we need to understand or we need to look at. First is that word humility. Paul says walk with humility. And to be honest with you, it's really the foundation of the other five. Because, see, the word humility 
refers to the quality of esteeming ourselves as small, but yet at the same time recognizing the quality and power of God at work in our lives, that it's really big. Paul says to walk in gentleness or meekness. What does that mean? Well, it means to be mild-spirited or self-controlled. Um, today, uh, gentleness is oftentimes translated or thought of to be weakness in our culture or somebody who's passive or cowardly. That's not what meekness or gentleness means at all. If you go over to the Sermon on the Mount and read that, you find out that actually meekness is not, a pa- not being a passive pushover, but it's actually power under control. So Paul tells them to walk with meekness. He also tells them to walk with patience. You can also translate that as long-suffering. Patience is where you and I can endure negative circumstances in life without giving in to those negative circumstances or those negative people. And then he says also, bearing with one another in love. And this phrase indicates that giving, or indicates, or seems to point to, that we give patience to someone in our lives who's aggravating us to no end, or you know, when it looks like there's no end, we don't just put up with them, but we really do give patience and love to someone Till the provocation has passed. And that's particularly important in a trial that we're incurring as a result of uncharitable uh, effort or uncharitable conduct that's happened toward us by other Christians. We're to endure the wrong, the slight, demonstrating a way of life superior to that of the world. You know, I mean, if, if, if you've been in a church any amount of time in your life, you know, uh, you don't have to go much more further than just the social media to learn that Christians can be pretty mean to each other these days. But also Paul says, listen, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He says, essentially, make every effort for peace that you can. To strive for peace, to guard peace, to maintain and keep peace. Now, Okay, so there's five things, essentially, that kind of roll out of that phrase. What about the, what, what, what is this about? What, what, how does this work? I, I mean, I kind of hear these things. Listen, think about this. Beloved, if you were to make up your mind today, sitting right here, that among your church relationships, that you're going to put these five things into practice, okay? If you were to decide today that you're going to start making steps toward humility by counting others more significant than yourself, and acknowledging God as the source of all you are, and you decide to really, uh, you're going get to your, you know, get your crazy, you know, uh, kind of under control. You know, all of us kind of have some of that, if you know what I'm talking about. You know, that thing that we keep hiding. He says, really, you know, if you're going to decide this morning to get your crazy under control and become a God and self-regulated person, and if you would just decide, or if you decide to be patient with all the negative in life, both the circumstances and the people, and to decide to stop looking for offenses from others, but look to others to love them and overlook their mess, and if we would decide to make every effort possible to live at peace with folks as much as possible with you, and we do all those kinds of things sequentially, you know what? Things will naturally become unified and peaceful in our lives, not just in the church, but probably on multiple levels. And friends, I just got to tell you, you know, I mean, there's some of us, and I don't mean to meddle here, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to a little bit. We, we, we have cops in the church. Do you know what I'm talking about? Cops, C-O-P-S. That stands for Christians on Patrol for Sinners. <laughs> okay? And listen, I mean, it goes something like this, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm going to do this. You know, it, it goes something like this, you know, 
I answer the phone, and it's kind of like, uh, yeah, Pastor, we have an Exodus 2717 uh, situation on our hands over here at the golf course. <laughs> like, okay, what, what, you know, what, what's happened? Well, Bill lost, Bill lost his golf ball, but we know he has a hand, hole in his pocket, and Bob just saw him shake the ball out of his pants leg. He's cheating, Pastor. He needs to be disciplined. I say, what are you talking about? And a man gets all up and dan- gets his dander all up in the air because, Pastor, any man who will cheat at golf will cheat in life. He needs to be told. What, what is that all about? I've actually known where that kind of thing has happened before. Listen, friends, we don't need to be cops going around trying to patrol everybody else's sin. Most of the time, we have to just overlook somebody's mess unless they're doing harm to themselves, harm to the church body, or in gross sin. That's what Paul's encouraging us to do, to love that person, to overlook those minor offenses and just let them go. It's okay. Why? Why do we do those things? Listen. Why do we do those things? Because we're called to unity. We're called to unity because God is unity. The Godhead is unity. And he wishes for his people to be unified. Look with me at verse 4 just a minute. Paul says, There is one body, one spirit, Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. Going on with verse 5. He says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Verse 6. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Apparently, unity is pretty important. Because Paul uses the word seven times in one sentence. Beloved, he's trying to get our attention. And friends, listen, there's nothing more detrimental to unity in the church, though, than when people live out and act out the opposite of these five things listed in Ephesians 4, verses 2 to 3. And you know what's even worse about it is sometimes, if you just look out here in the world, it actually approves of those things. I mean, beloved, when people are full of false humility by under-esteeming themselves and putting themselves down all the time, Or when people are so eat up with pride, they constantly are esteeming themselves better than others, acting arrogantly, self-congratulating themselves. And when Christians have a frantic spirit of impetuousness, basically screaming all the time, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, why isn't this getting done now? And when Christians are vindictive, passive-aggressive, vengeful, spiteful, critical, or bitter in attitude and behavior, or just at times plain rude, you know what? Discord, disunity, and fragmentation are right around the corner. And friends, even if there is no major blow-up, these things do not contribute to building up others. Nor does it help or contribute to God's church. We're called to be unified because God is unified. He called, and that's what those seven, that's why one, or the, excuse me, the word one is used there seven times in Ephesians 4.1. is to point us to the oneness. Because, see, listen, say, so what do you mean? Listen, Paul is reminding the Ephesians Starting there in Ephesians 4, uh, verse 4, he's basically saying, hey, listen, all that stuff from Ephesians chapter 1 to 3 that are true about you, you know what? You guys are all members of one body, the church. You're all sharers of the same Holy Spirit. You each and all possess the same hope. 
You each and all have the new life by the power of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You all have the same Lord Christ, the same faith once handed down to the saints, the same baptism, the same true God, one Father and sovereign Lord of all. He's basically saying, you've got your doctrine right. But to have true unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, listen, you've got to learn to get along with one another. Too many of us oftentimes are like, kind of demonstrate the attitude of Charlie Brown. <laughs> He's famous for saying, you know, mankind is okay. <laughs> it's the people I can't stand. <laughs> Beloved, are we eager to be at peace with each other? Are we? Commenting on this passage, N.T. Wright said this. He says, unless we are working, get this, unless we are working. He didn't say just kind of drifting. He said, unless we are working to maintain, defend, and develop the unity we already enjoy in Christ. And to overcome death, demolish, and put behind us the disunity we still find ourselves in today. We can scarcely claim to be following Paul's teaching. Listen, walking the Christian life of humility, of meekness, of patience, of love, and guarding unity takes some serious disciplines. It takes some serious effort. Some of you here may be hearing, listen, or hearing what I'm saying, say, you know, I kind of like that Paul over there in chapters 1 through 3 a lot better. This sounds a whole lot legalistic to me. Listen, Paul's done all the homework in chapters 1 through 3. Christ has done these things already. He's empowered you to live these virtues out. The question is, is are we going to do it? So first, Paul corporately urges us to walk worthy of our calling in Christ, seeking to be unified in our church relationships. But also, number two, he says that really we, that is all members of the church, are to be equipped by the word of God and thus become unified. And that's in verses 7 um, skipping a few verses and then 11 and through to 13. Reading with me in verse 7, Paul says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now skip with me down to verse 11. He says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Now see, as we come to verse 7, Paul moves from addressing the entire church over to speaking to us as individuals. And in talking to individuals, we see that grace, okay, in verse 7, that is the gospel, that's what he's talking about there, was given to each of us. And then skipping on down to, to verses 8 and 9, or excuse me, then skipping verses 8 to 9, we see Paul picks back up the concept of giving again in verse 11. Go back with me one more time and look with you in your Bibles with me. Look at, or in, starting with verse 11, and it says, and he gave. Well, what did Paul give? Christ has given apostles. He has given prophets. He's given evangelists. He's given shepherds and teachers. Okay, let's stop there for a moment. What are those? What are apostles? Well, apostles in this context refers to those who were witnesses of Christ's resurrection. Their testimony to the people at large was actually the first Christian preaching in first century A.D. Well, who are the prophets? Well, the early Christian prophets spoke in the name of the Lord, guiding and directing the church before the New Testament was written. Well, then who are these evangelists? These evangelists are those who announced the good news, 
that the crucified Messiah, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, had risen from the dead and was now Lord of all. What about pastors? Well, when Paul speaks of pastors, he's talking about those who were given pastoral oversight of others in the church. And it's based on the idea of shepherding. And he also mentions teachers within the church. And those were the people given, or God gave those gifts to the church to help develop and train people in their understanding. Now, sometimes commentators link pastors and teachers together, calling them teaching shepherds. Well, okay, for what reason were these guys or these people given? Verse 12 tells us, it says, to equip the saints. Who are the saints? That is you and I and everyone else who knows Christ as their Lord and Savior. Well, what do they equip the saints for? One, for the work of ministry. And two, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, what does all this mean? Well, listen, people, oftentimes people ask me um, out in public, you know, well, what do you Anglicans do over there at Christ Church? Well, I hope and pray because of what verses 11 through 12 say that people here in this church are being equipped in a general sense for ministry in the world. And that, friend, if you, because, because here's the truth of it. If you're a Christian, you have a ministry, okay? All of your life is a ministry. It doesn't matter if you're a stay-at-home mom, if you're in the workplace, you have a career, or you're retired or whatever. Each and every one of us have ministry and ministries in our life. And see, friend, the word that Paul uses, uses for equip, it means to make someone completely adequate or sufficient for something. It has the connotation of it of like a, a medical doctor would have used back then for healing and setting of broken limbs. And so how do we equip at Christ Church? Okay, if that's what we're supposed to be doing, if that's what this text is talking about, how do we equip here at Christ Church? Well, if the apostles were preaching Jesus... And the prophets in that text are speaking in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the evangelists are heralding the gospel of Jesus to the crowds. And the shepherd teachers are giving pastoral oversight and teaching and developing people. All these gifts to the church that Paul mentions point to the various ministries of the word of God being taught to the saints here on a daily and weekly basis. And so when Paul talks about building up the body of Christ... The language communicates the idea of be something, it's kind of like a stonemason's laying blocks for a building one by one until a complete structure exists. So, okay, so we have all these things, these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor teachers, and concepts of equipping and building together. What's this all about? Beloved, it's this. Paul assumes that our restoration that our transformation, that our growth and our development are part of our Christian lives and the church. And that this will happen when the word of God is expounded and applied in the power of the Holy Spirit. That happens here at Christ Church from the pulpit on a weekly basis. That happens in our small group gatherings. That happens over here every week that we are every weekday that we have the daily office of morning prayer. And you know what's interesting? Just this week, I, I typed in the phrase, Word of God, into my Bible study software program. And, and I was actually really very interesting. I could actually preach the entire sermon on this alone. But over and over, wherever you see the, the, the phrase, Word of God, or Word of God, and they're really close together in some search string, wherever you see that and see the Word of God given preeminence among the people of God in the Bible... 
you find things like Acts 6, 7 that says this. Listen. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. And friends, that's just not limited to the New Testament. Listen, over and over and over in church history, if you're, a study of, or study, if you're a student of church history, wherever you find the great movements of God in the world, and wherever you find the spiritual awakenings happening, no matter what was taking place in the culture, or how bad it was, guess what one thing was common to all? An intense diet of the word of God among God's people, and even inside of the culture itself. Listen, blooded. We all want to see people flourish. We all want to see the kingdom grow. We all want to see disciples made. We want to see the world changed, people changed, the violence in this world to stop, for the unborn to stop being aborted, for people to stop walking in on innocent people for no good reason at all and shooting up the whole place. I hear people all the time praying for a revival. Listen, friend, it's only going to happen when there's a steady diet of the word of God coming into our lives and coming into this culture. It's only going to happen when we as the church quit making excuses and start living out the Bible and what it teaches the best way we know how. Some folks oftentimes will talk to me and say things like, well, that's fine, you know, preacher types, y'all talk about church all the time, use church language. I run, you know, I'm in business, or I'm a businessman, or I'm a businesswoman, or I'm this, or I'm that. You know, I really don't know how to apply any of this stuff where I work. What do I do? Well, friends, listen, the first thing, just take the Ten Commandments with you. That's simple. I mean, where there's lie, you know, if you're tempted to lie or cheat or steal, those sorts of things, stop. It's not, I mean, that, it's not that hard. Well, friends, what is the result of such equipping and building that Paul lays out here in Ephesians? It's this, it's three things. It's increased unity, a deeper knowledge of Christ, and spiritual maturity. Look at verse 13 if you still have your text open. Paul says this, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Augustine of Hippo was famous for saying, in essentials, unity, and non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. And you know, a lot of people have picked that phrase up today as kind of as a mantra, really, and attempts to unify the people of God. And listen, friends, that's fine among people who agree that the scriptures are to be received as the authoritative word of God. That'll actually work. But when people cannot agree on that and cannot get that right, let me ask you something. Who in this world gets to decide what is true? Who in this world gets to decide what is true about you? Who in the world gets to decide what is true or not true about God? Mankind? Mob rule? Or the world? Beloved, if we want to see increased unity in the church, or let me back this up and ask it as a question. Do you want to see increased unity in the church universal 
and even in our own church. How does that happen? Beloved, if God's people are exposed to the same sanctifying truth of the word of God on a regular basis, you know what? In unison, all of our minds, our desires, and our affections over time actually are recalibrated, if you will, over to the mind and will of God. You say, do you want to increase your knowledge of Christ? Listen, friend, it is only through his word open to us by the power of the Holy Spirit that we come to understand and love the Lord Jesus Christ of the Scriptures. And it's only by opening up the word that we don't fall victim to the fanciful Jesus Christ of our sin-tainted imaginations oftentimes that we can each create or that the culture can create. You say, well, friend, I, I want to grow up. I, I want to become a spiritually mature Christian. Beloved, it is only through the saturation of the word of God that one becomes spiritually mature, that one becomes more like Christ, and one becomes full of Christ. And it all comes from letting the word of Christ dwell richly in us. Friends, we live in a world where actually unity is a lost word. It doesn't really mean anything today. I mean, I know people who hang out all the time, will rally around all sorts of things. They're not really unified. Friend, every treaty that has ever been drawn up between opposing countries in this world has been broken and torn up at some point. A one-world socialistic order is nothing more really than a fanciful political ideal around man's ideas. And friends, listen, unity in this world is not going to happen when all the Confederate flags are taken down. It's not going to happen when one's preferred politician is in office. Really, the church is the only thing that has the potential in the world to be truly unified. Church, may we walk worthily of our calling in humility, patience, with meekness and love toward one another, guarding and seeking to maintain peace. And church, may we ever be equipped by the word of God and grow into the fullness and stature of Christ that he's asking of us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.